around like mid-October, end of October, I, I go ahead and start thinking about the next year. I don't know if anybody is like me. I've, I've, I'm already making lists of goals. I mean, I'm just a sucker for a new year. And, and, uh, and so what I like to do as we come to the end of a year and the beginning of another year is what uh, I like to call review preview. We do that with our team around here where we just like to talk about uh, what has happened and then what we hope will happen. And and so that's kind of where my mind has been at the last few weeks and, and, uh, and days, thinking about uh, our church and thinking about next year and celebrating what God has done uh, this year. And, and a lot of stuff we could talk about, and uh, maybe we'll do that uh, a little bit throughout this month. But I really just want to highlight uh, one big thing that I think is the ultimate um, success, the ultimate win for our church uh, throughout this 2019 year. Uh, and, and, and that is that we have had 65 people commit their life to Jesus Christ. 65 people committed their life to Jesus Christ. And that's what it's all about for us is, you know, we exist to share real hope for real life. We, wanna, we want people to experience hope. And, and there's a lot of things in this life and in the world that will make you feel better for a little bit of time. Uh, but only Jesus is, is what gives you that hope that never disappoints and never lets you down. And so, so many of you uh, in, in the room at Shepherdsville, in the room here at South Louisville, have, um, have been one of those 65. And it's not just a number to us. 65 represents moms, dads, husbands, uncles, coworkers. And, uh, and so just excited for everybody who has taken that step to put your faith in, in Jesus. And that's just really a perfect segue, a perfect transition for us to talk about what's happening uh, towards the end of this month with all of the different options that you have to invite somebody to be a part of the Christmas services that are happening at Hope City. We have five different Christmas services that you can be a part of, and we want you, we do these services for you. We want you to celebrate Christmas. We want you to enjoy Christmas, but we don't do it just for you. Uh, We want you to use these services as a way to uh, bring somebody with you to hear the message of Christmas, to hear about Jesus. And so I just want to make sure you know these times. uh, Four times at South Louisville, our South Louisville location, Thursday, December 19th at 7, Saturday, December 21st at 6, Sunday, December 22nd at 9 and 11.45 a.m., and then at Shepherdsville, Sunday at 10.30 a.m. And and we're excited about this because um, for the first time, we're going to be live at all of our locations. So our team, myself, Andrea, we're going to be live at all the locations and uh, that, that includes Shepherdsville, all the services uh, at South Louisville, all five, is going to be a live experience. And, uh, and so we'd love for you to be a part of this. And the reason we spread it out like this is so that uh, if somebody has a tradition that, that blocks them from being here or uh, a reason they can't come, well, then just you got a different night, you know. So it's like Thursday night, well, we're doing dinner with the in-laws. Saturday night, well, I'm washing my hair. Okay, Sunday, we got options. We got options. And so... Uh, we would love for you to bring uh, family, friends with you to be a part of these Christmas services. Our team's been working hard. Uh, it's, it's what we do at Hope City, just a, just a little bit better, and, uh, and our team's been working hard. So we'd love for you to be a part of that, and maybe, maybe you would come to one, maybe you would serve at another, and, and uh, whatever we can do to make the night special for everybody who walks through the doors, that's really what we're trying to do, and... Uh, yeah, so I hope, I, hope you'll be, I hope you'll be a part of that. Because it is officially Christmas time. I know there's some debate about when you can put up your Christmas tree or when you can do decorations, but we are past that point. We are there. Like Christmas music is playing in the house. The decorations are up. It is 
Christmas time, and, and we really want to celebrate that all month at Hope City Church is what we want to do. And so we're going to be taking a few weeks to talk about different parts of the Christmas story that uh, we like or that stand out to us. I'm excited. Next week, uh, my wife, Andrea, is going to be speaking for us, and uh, she's always, she always does an amazing job, so you don't want to miss that. But, uh, but this week, I- I'm going to be kicking us off, and, and we're going to be talking uh, about a part of the Christmas story that I actually learned something new about I didn't know uh, this week, and I'll tell you about that in a moment. But before I do that, I want to share with you uh, 10 things, according to Consumer Reports, that are the 10 most stressful things about the holiday season. Because as much as we love Christmas, as much as we are excited about Christmas, how many people know it can be a little bit stressful? Uh, it can be a little bit chaotic, um, I, I saw somebody post on Facebook yesterday, said, for anybody who was worried about Amazon putting stores out of business, they obviously haven't been to the mall today, uh, which I thought was a great, a great thing. But it can be a little stressful. So according to Consumer Reports, surveys, and research, they gave the 10 uh, most popular or the 10 biggest reasons why people get stressed out at the holidays. I'm going to give these to you, see if these resonate with you. The number one reason that people say they get stressed out at the holidays is crowds and long lines. Anybody get stressed out by crowds and long lines? You're like, I'm not even getting off the exit there this year for this month. Gaining weight, number two, stresses people out. Uh, A lot of cookies, a lot of holiday food, a lot of parties. Um, uh, Number three, going into more debt can be very stressful. You just feel like you got to buy more gifts than you can afford. Number four, this is stressful for a lot of people, buying the perfect gifts. How many people stress out over having to buy that perfect gift and then your friends say, just buy me a gift card. You're like, you can't just buy a gift card. You got you to gotta do something. Okay, whatever. Uh, number five, traveling stresses people out. The roads can be busy. This is a great one. Number six, seeing certain relatives. Anybody stressed out about having to see that one relative that you're worried about? Maybe you get to sit by them at the dinner table. You're stressing about it. You got your secret word with the people you're going with to get out of the, of the, uh, of the event. Christmas music can be stressful. Some people like live on it, you know, but other people stresses them out. This is my favorite. You ready? Number eight, stress out. Having to act like you really like the gift you were given. Does that stress anybody out? Come on. Having to, oh my gosh, I've always wanted one of these, but you don't know what it is. You just, you know, you got to act like you like it. That's a good one. All the introverts in the room, number nine, having to attend holiday parties or events. That can be really stressful. And then number 10, What about this one, having to take down Christmas decorations? Is that stressful for anybody? Anybody planning to leave them up until March? Anybody just saying, like, we'll just see how it goes? Uh, Yeah, we'll just see how it goes. You know what really stresses me out about Christmas? And I don't know why this is the case, because it's not the case the rest of the year. But on Christmas morning, something comes over me, and I become OCD like, like hawk about the wrapping paper being left on the ground. Like, I will get a trash bag, and the kids will open a present, and like, I'm like, whoa, 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 no, no, put the, put, the, put the paper in the back, put the paper in the back. And I don't know why I'm like, anybody have a relative who's like that? Like, the trash bag Nazi, that's just me. I don't know why I'm that way, but I'm that way, and uh, I, I'm just going to own it, because that's definitely, uh, that's definitely the way it is. And so it could be a little bit stressful, but we are excited. We are excited to be getting into the Christmas season and talking about that and celebrating that. Uh, it's going to be a good time. So I don't normally give my titles uh, or give my sermon titles, but I decided to do that this week. And today I want to talk about this thought, making room for a miracle. 
making room for a miracle. And I want us to read just a single verse. We're just going to read one verse today from the Christmas story. And normally I read from the New Living Translation. Uh, If you're not familiar with Bible translations, don't stress out about it. Don't get caught up in it. There's lots of great ones out there. But for me, the New Living Translation or the NLT, uh, that's the Bibles we have at both of our locations and the seats. Uh, And I love that. But I think for most of us, we learned or heard the Christmas story in a traditional way, whether it was through a a service or a mass or a tradition. Uh, Maybe they read it at your house on on Christmas Eve or they read it at your house on Christmas Eve. But for most of us, we know the Christmas story, uh, the memorable parts of the Christmas story the most because of Charlie Brown's Christmas. And, you know, I don't want to reinvent the wheel, so we'll just do it like Charlie did it. And I want to read it to you from the New King James Version uh, today, and it's Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, verse 7, just one verse, and this is what it says. It says, and she, that's talking about Mary, and she brought forth her firstborn son, talking about Jesus, wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room. Everybody say no room. There was no room for them in the inn. No room, no room. I have to make a confession that I knew this week that I wanted to preach about the innkeeper in the Christmas story. So I sat down and I got my computer out. I began to type up my message and I went to find the Bible verses in the story about the innkeeper. And guess what I discovered? There's no innkeeper in the Bible. There is no innkeeper in the Christmas story. I never knew that. I, I, I don't know. I all these years, I just kind of mixed together uh, the Bible Christmas story and other adaptations of the story that were out there. I did search on Amazon about the innkeeper, and there are lots of books been written about the innkeeper, uh, a lot of them fictional, but there, there is no innkeeper in the Bible. And so I was kind of blown away by this. I, I've read the Christmas story. I've preached the Christmas story. I just always, I don't know, somehow thought the innkeeper was in the Bible, and there is no innkeeper in the Bible. The only thing we know about what we think is the innkeeper is this verse that we've read. We don't know about the place. We don't know about who. We just know that Joseph and Mary couldn't find any room, which made me curious. I like to go on little information scavenger hunts, I guess, sometimes. And so I wanted to know what else do I think is in the Christmas story that's not in the Christmas story? Uh, Because if the innkeeper's not in there, there's got to be some other things. So I just started Googling and searching um, what what is not in the Christmas story, and I found a couple of them, and I, I don't want to ruin Christmas for anybody, but uh, I'm going to share a couple of these with you. Uh, one thing that's not in the Christmas story is that Mary probably didn't ride on a donkey. Uh, she did make an 80-mile trip to Jerusalem, but we don't know how she got there. We know she was very pregnant, uh, and somehow she made it 80 miles, which is, which is pretty unbelievable, to Bethlehem, not Jerusalem, excuse me. Um, so that's one. Uh, Jesus was not born in a stable or a barn. This kind of ruins all nativity sets. Uh, but it, he wasn't born in a stable or a barn. They were in Joseph's hometown, and most scholars and historians believe that, he, that Jesus was born in some type of cave uh, that was maybe belonged to a relative of, of Joseph. And so no, no stable, no barn, no animals, like no, no horse, you know, or, or like or cow or something looking over where Jesus was at, none of those. There weren't three wise men. Did you know that? There weren't three wise men. We don't know how many wise men there were. We know there were three gifts, but we don't know there were three wise men. And the wise men were not there when Jesus was born. They didn't follow a star. 
that if you, if you read the story that the wise men actually showed up uh, when Jesus was about two years old. And so, and so that's, that's, a little bit, that's a little bit off as well. So I can tell by the look on some of your faces, like I'm just killing the Christmas story for you. That's not my goal. That's not what I'm doing. And every time now you drive past the nativity set, you're going to know, like, nope, no animals. Wise men weren't there. No, like Jesus being born, it looked a lot more like your house than, than it did a, a barn or a nativity, a nativity set. But regardless of all those details that are not necessarily um, you know, parts, the true parts of the Bible story, the fundamental truths of the Christmas story are still the same, that, that Jesus Christ came from heaven as a baby to begin his life as our Savior. That, that is what we celebrate at Christmas. There's lots of other things that happen and lots of other things that are going on. It's easy sometimes to forget what it is and why Christmas is such a big deal. And the reason it's such a big deal for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus is because it is the opportunity that we have. It is the moment that we have selected to celebrate our Savior. The only reason we are able to have a relationship with God, it's not based on how nice we are or how much we give to charity or how many you know, senior adults we help across the street or how many widows we cut their yard or uh, what political party we vote for or our moral code of behavior. None of those things give us an opportunity to have a relationship with God. That the only way we are able to have a relationship with God is by accepting and putting our faith in Jesus. And that doesn't happen. Jesus doesn't die and and doesn't raise from the dead for 33 years after he was born. But this is the beginning of it for us. That, that Jesus Christ came as a child, as an infant, as a baby. To begin his life as our Savior. Now in a few months we're going to celebrate Easter. And that is, the, that is the, the almost kind of end of the story. It's not totally the end, but it's kind of the end of the story. When Jesus is not a baby anymore. He's a, he's a man, 33 years old, who committed no sin, but died a sinner's death because we deserve that sinner's death. And if we put our faith in Jesus, we can have a relationship with God. We can know God. We get to be with God, spend eternity with God. So it's not just about parties and cookies and presents. and th- Those things are fun, and I think those are, those are great ways to celebrate. But the core message and meaning of the Christmas season for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus is that our Savior was born. Our Savior was born. Not just a baby, but the Savior of our lives was born. And I want to encourage you, at some point over the next 15, 20 days, I want to encourage you to spend some time really thinking about that. Maybe figure out a way, if you you have a family, if you have kids, Figure out a way to to teach that and read that together. That this is not just about baby Jesus, you know, cute baby Jesus, all adorable little baby Jesus. This is about the Savior of the world who gives us a way to know God and have a relationship with God. He was born. What an amazing night. What an amazing moment. But here's what's strange about that amazing night and that amazing moment is that God sends his son Jesus into the world to be born. And on the night that he's supposed to be born, there's nowhere for him to stay. Now, e- even people like me who don't really create a pretty 
detailed agenda for vacation, okay? An itinerary. Like, I, 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 sometimes I book rooms day of while I'm in the city I'm traveling to, all right? Like, I'm not a detailed planner or a traveler, okay? But even somebody who's not detailed would think that if you're going to send God's son, the savior of the world, to the earth to be born, you would think that on the night he was going to be born, like, the traveling arrangements and the, and the logistics for the stay would be worked out. But Mary and Joseph, they come into town. She's very pregnant. And there's nowhere for them to stay. And it's not just that there's nowhere for them to stay, but it's really those words, no, no room, no room. It's a crazy thought to think about the fact that Jesus, the Savior of the world, showed up and no one had room for him. What a defining moment in history. But the thing about defining moments is that you don't know they're defining until after they've happened and you look back on them after they've passed. Here's what I know about you and here's what I know about me and the people in, in Bethlehem during this time is that if you would have spread the word, hey, God's son, the savior of the world is coming and he needs a place to be born and stay tonight. People would have volunteered. I got a room. They can stay. You're talking about God's son's coming? Have my place, you know? But no one knew that that's what was happening. This was a very ordinary night, just an ordinary couple, a baby to be born, just a very ordinary night. And so here's the thought that's been rolling around in my head for the past several days, is how do you make room for a miracle before you know that something is a miracle. Because if I told you that today, when you leave this room, God is going to do an amazing miracle at the restaurant you go to have lunch at, you know what I know about you? Is you would be on guard at the restaurant. You'd be looking around, like, where's my miracle? You know, how, how's God going to use me to be a miracle? Is it my waitress? You know, is it the hostess? Is it the person sitting over there? What do I need to do? Like, if I told you, the next thing you did would be miraculous. You'd pay attention. But my question is, how do you make room for a miracle before you know or if you have no idea that God's wanting to use you to do that miracle or to be that miracle? It's just a regular conversation. It's just going to work. It's just, you know, meeting your neighbor at the end of the driveway when you're both bringing your trash cans in. It's ordinary. Nothing crazy. Nothing miraculous. And is it possible that God wants to use my life, and he wants to use your life in a miraculous way, but we don't have any room for him to do that miracle. That we've given away all of our rooms. That if you want to think of this as a traditional kind of innkeeper, hotel kind of thing, that, that before God's son showed up, they had given away all of the rooms. Is it possible that God wants to use our life to do something miraculous, but we've given away all our rooms. We've given away all of our space. We've given away all of our availability, all of our margin. Now, I think it's really, really safe to say that God is not going to choose you to miraculously birth the Savior of the world. So we're going to put that one to the side. That's the miracle that's probably not going to happen in your life. Okay, that's already happened. But everything else is on the table. 
that God wants to use you to be a miracle. He wants to, to, to put a miracle inside of you to, to be able to share with the world. He wants you to be salt and light. God wants to use your life in a miraculous way. The question is, do you have any room in your life for God to do that miracle? Let me say it this way. Here's kind of the big idea of what we would say, is that God will use you beyond your ability, but not beyond your availability. For every single person listening to this message, you've got to know that God will use you beyond your ability. Your ability's not all that great. My ability's not all that great. But God will breathe into us, and he will put his hand on our life, and he will anoint us and set us apart so that we can do things beyond our ability. You're not just a teacher. You are uh, the minister in the room of students. You're not just a stay-at-home mom. You are the, the, the representative of God to those children in your home. You're not just a salesman. You are the representative of God in every meeting you walk into. And whatever it is that you do, it's, it's not just about your ability. It's that God wants to use you beyond your ability. You're not just a nurse. You're the representative of God every time you walk into that room. And God wants to use your life and your job and your career and your abilities. He wants to use you beyond that. But here's what God will never do. God will never use you beyond your availability. He would love to use your life. He would love to do a miracle through you. But he, he will only do it if there's room for him to do it, if we make, make room, make room. And so, so for the time we have left, as we kind of finish out this year and, and look into the next year, I want to encourage you to make room, make room, Make room for a miracle in your life. And I'm going to give you three ways that you can do that. Hopefully you got a sermon guide when you came in. Grab one of those. You could write these in. But I'm going to give you three ways to make room for a miracle in your life. Three, three ways. Maybe that's going to happen today or tonight or this week or this month or next year. But three ways that you can make room for a miracle in your life. And the first way that you can do that is, is you can make room for people. Make room for people. What would it look like if you decided that even though you're kind of maxed out relationally, even though you're kind of busy, stressed out professionally, you are going to figure out a way to make room in your life, not find room. We're not talking about finding room. We're talking about making room for people, for people. If you viewed your dinner table as an altar, if you viewed your dinner table as your stage to be God's representative and say, you know what, two times a month, two nights a month, we are going to invite someone different over for dinner because something happens when you get around the dinner table and, 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 and God does something. And so we're going to make room for people. What if you decided heading into the next year that you were going to Take that junk room that used to be a guest room and make it a guest room again and just pray to God, like, God, we got an empty bedroom. And I don't know what you want to use this room for, but God, I am literally making a room. And God, if you want us in this room to be part of a miracle somehow, like, we're in because we're going to make room for people. If you didn't view everybody at your job as an annoying person, 
But you say, you know what, I'm going to make some time in my day at my job for people. What if the people you need to make room for are the, are the people living in your home? You say, you know what, I'm going to put the phone up, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take 15 minutes to put my kids to bed, and I'm not going to yell at, you, yell at them, you know, come on, that takes a miracle. And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus in for 15, 20, 30 minutes. I'm just going to make room for conversation. Because here's what I've noticed about little kids is that if you make time to have meaningful conversation with them, they'll have meaningful conversation with you. So what would happen if you say, you know what, the 15 to 20 minutes before my kids go to sleep, that's going to be my altar. That's going to be my stage where I make room for God to do something in my family's life. Marion Wright Edelman shares a, a, a story about this Christmas pageant that happened at New York City's Riverside Church years ago. They, they were putting on their Christmas pageant, and the place was packed, and it's kind of a tradition in the town that the church did a great Christmas pageant. And so they had reached the point in the play where the innkeeper was supposed to turn away Mary and Joseph with this resounding line, there's no room in the inn. There's no room in the inn. And so they weren't really sure who to give the part to. It was only one line, but they wanted it to be, you know, a good job done. And so as they thought about it, they, they felt like it was the perfect part for a, a kid in the church, a student in the youth ministry. His name was Tim. And Tim had Down syndrome. And he only had one line to remember, but they felt like he could remember the one line, and it would mean a lot to him, and it would mean a lot to his family. So they gave Tim the part as the innkeeper. And told Tim, just learn this one line, there's no room in the inn. There's no, so so for, for weeks he practiced with his parents. There's no room in the inn. There's no room in the inn. He got it. And so the night of the pageant comes and, and they get to this point in the play, in the Christmas story. And, and Tim's parents are sitting on the edge of his seat and the director of the pageant sitting on it. The, and they're all wondering, like, is Tim going to know his line? Is Tim going to remember his line? Can Tim do it? And so... Mary and Joseph, they walk down the center aisle, they get, they knock on the door, Tim walks out, Tim's looking for his parents, he's excited about his part in the play, and, and Mary and Joseph need a place to stay, and Tim looks at him and says, there's no room in the inn. So the parents are all excited, and the pageant director's all excited. Mary and Joseph, they turn, they begin to walk off to go where they're supposed to go, and then Tim says, hey, but you can come stay in my place if you want. That's making room for people. God, you're not interrupting me today. You're using my life today. Who do I need to see? And who do I need to talk to? And who do I need to, to, to walk with? Who do I need to really listen to today? What if you decided, I'm going to make room for people in my life around my dinner table, in my living room, at my desk, in my kid's bedroom, when I go over to someone's house, I'm going to leave my phone in the car so that I can just focus on them because I'm going to make room for people. Here's what I believe. Not if we find room, but if we make room for people, God will show up in that room that we've made and use that availability to do something miraculous. But I want to give you another one. Not only do we want to make room for people, but we want to make room for God to speak. We want to make room for God to speak. What would it look like in your life this week or this month or next year if you decided, you know what, I'm not going to find room for God to speak into my life. I'm going to make room for God to speak in my life. We know that God speaks 
predominantly through his word. The Bible is the most consistent, predictable way that God speaks to you and me. So what would it look like if we said, you know what, I'm going to make room in my life for God to speak to me through his word. I'm going to wake up, you know, 15 minutes earlier before everybody is up in the house or Instead of listening to the radio, I'm going to listen to a podcast where somebody's teaching the Bible, or I'm going to turn the game off that's running late because I know it's going to make it harder for me to wake up in the morning. I'm going to, I'm going to find a reading plan. I'm going to read through it because I want God to speak to me. What if it was a commitment? You say, you know what? There's 52 weeks in the year next year, 52 opportunities for me to be a part of my church. And so I'm going to sit down with a calendar before the year ever starts. And I'm going to make a commitment. 44, 44 weeks, I'm going to be in church. I'm going to be there because God's there and God's people are there and God's word is there. And I want God to speak to me. And so I'm going to get where God is. What if you decided heading into this new semester in January, you know what? No more excuses. I'm joining a growth group. Because God's there, God's people there, God's words there, and I want God to speak to me. And I know that my schedule's busy, and I know that kids got sports, and I know I got, but I'm not finding room for God to speak. I'm making the choice to make room for God to speak into my life. I want God to speak. Maybe we turned off everything in the car on the way to work and said, God, this is 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 10 minutes of silence. I just want you to speak. Speak into my life. And what I've noticed about God is that God never raises his voice to talk over all of the other noise and distractions in my life. He usually whispers and talks soft enough that it requires me to turn down everything else. It's kind of like when my kids um, fall and scrape. Uh, this happened yesterday at our house. Our, our three-year-old courageous kid, he he climbed and jumped over the backyard fence by eight feet tall. He was pretty excited about that. But he also scared himself. And so I went and picked him up, and he's screaming, ah, ah, you know. And when my kids are, are hurt or they're crying or they're screaming as their parent, I don't talk louder than them. Stop screaming! Uh, you know, some, maybe sometimes you do that. But that's not what I do. To get them to calm down, I talk extremely softer than them. Hey, it's going to be all right. Look at Daddy. You're going to be fine. How's it hurt? You doing okay? I love you. You want to sit with me? Come on, just sit with me. And here's what I've learned about my heavenly father, God. That's usually how he talks to me because life has me like going like, ah! But God doesn't raise his voice to talk over the noise. He speaks softly like a father, kind of whispers to me. And here's what I believe and I know to be true is that if you will make room, not find room, make room, for God to speak to you, he will speak to you. And how would it change your life if you went through your day, week, month, year, knowing that God was speaking to you? But let me give you one more, not just making room for people, not just making room for God to speak, but last, I want to encourage you, we're talking about ways to make room for a miracle, I want to encourage you to make room for giving. Make room for giving. We just got done coming out of, we took three weeks to talk about money and all that the Bible has to say, and so I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, but here's what I know about you and me is that we don't really have a ton of room in the budget. We really don't have a, a lot of margin in the budget. 
And that sometimes it feels like when guys like me get up here and talk about giving that we need to go find room. I'm not talking about finding room. I'm talking about making room on purpose, saying, you know what? I want to be part of a miracle. And so I am going to go and look at what I have and look at what I'm paying and look at what I'm spending. And I'm going to decide what needs to go and what has to go because I want to make room to give because I want to be a part of something miraculous, miraculously generous. What would it be like and what would it look like if you were able, because you had made room, to be a part of a miracle for someone else? You find out that they're wanting to adopt, but it's going to cost thousands of dollars. and You're able to say, you know what? I don't even have to pray about it or think about it. I'm just going to go get it out of the savings account. Here's $2,500 to help you to adopt your kid. What if, what if you wanted to go on a mission trip or somebody you know wanted to go on a mission trip, but they couldn't afford it, and you were just able to say, you know what? I'll pay your way. Not because I just happen to have a ton of money sitting around, but because I made a conscious choice to make room to be a part of a miracle. And so I believe as you get on that plane and you go to that other country or you go to that place and you do what it is that you're going to do over there, that God is going to do something that may seem ordinary, but it's actually going to be a miracle in your life. And I want to be a part of that miracle. So I'll give to it. I'll give to it. When someone in your circle or your friend's circle, you find out that they're in a tough spot or they've been kicked out of their home or they need clothes to go back to school, you say, you know what, I, I can buy that. Or you're standing behind the, the line, you're standing behind somebody in the line at the grocery store and, and they, they ring it up and they realize that they got too much and they don't, you know, they're short of what they can afford and you're just able to interrupt and say, you know what, I'll buy your groceries today. Not because I just happen to be rich, but because I decided to make room to be a part of a miracle by making room to give, making room to give. What would it look like this week, this month, next year? If you said it's not just a budget, it's not just about getting by, it's about making room for miracles. Not, you know, everybody wants God to do a miracle for them financially. I'm talking about making room for me to be the miracle financially for somebody else. And so, God, I know you want to use me beyond my ability, but you're not going to use me beyond my availability. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go find Margin. I'm going to go make room, God, make room to be able to give to help people who you need to help. So, God, I'm going to, I'm going to make the availability. You just tell me where to give and what to do. You know what you call a savings account with money in it? An invitation to God to be a miracle. Do you know what you call an empty calendar with a couple of nights a week with no obligations and an empty dinner table. You know what you call that? An invitation to God. You know what you call an, an empty guest room in a house? An invitation to God to be a miracle. You know what you call 30 minutes in a home that's quiet before everybody else wakes up? An invitation for God to speak. Because you're not asking God to fill in what's left over in your life. You're telling God, I'm going to make room 
Because this maybe, just maybe, is going to be another one of those miraculous things you do, God, and I don't want to miss it, so I'm available. And I don't want anybody to ever be able to say about me and my story and what you were trying to do, that you showed up and you were trying to do something miraculous, but there was no room. God, I'm making a commitment today. I'm going to make room for whatever miracle you're wanting to do through my life. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you, God, that you made room for a miracle in giving by giving 